Amen. It's so good to be with you. My name is Jonathan. It is always good to be with you. It's especially good to be with you today. I don't know why. It just is. Um, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm not going to cheapen the sermon by making a joke about the Super Bowl. Uh, if I was, I was going to make a joke about how, uh, as a Broncos fan, having the Chiefs in the Super Bowl is like having the, your little brother who you beat up for years finally grows up and now you got to deal with him. Um, but I wouldn't do that because it cheapens the sermon. So <laughs> let me just open with a word of prayer. Lord, uh, these songs we sing, they invite us to transcend this world, to trust your goodness, to trust your grace, to trust that your way is better. Um, so God, I just pray that you'd help us to unanchor our souls from the ways of this world and to step into that thing that you've called us to. Lead us this morning. In your name I pray, amen. I wanted to start today by saying something uh, that is true of every person in this room. No matter who you are, this is true of you. God has given you influence and power on this earth. It's true. Did you know that? God has given you as a person, no matter who you are, a degree of influence and power on this earth. And you may not think of yourself that way. You may not uh, think you're very influential. You may think you're inconsequential or powerless because we all wrestle with those feelings sometimes, but it doesn't change the fact that God has given you influence and power on this earth. What we're going to look at is in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, where Jesus is going to teach his followers exactly what that means, to have influence and power. And it doesn't mean what they thought it meant, and it's probably not going to mean what we think it means. But uh, I, what we need to realize is he's not just talking to, like, the disciples or the apostles or the founders of the church. He is talking to every person who lives, who has influence and power on this earth. And so that includes you, and that includes me. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 30. That's where we're going to start today. But first, let's talk about politics. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to talk about politics in church, said literally no one ever, right? Uh, you may have noticed this at Pulpit Rock. We don't talk a lot about politics. I don't, we're not telling you who to vote for, that sort of thing. I'll be totally honest with you. Some of that is a reflection on me. I don't like to talk about politics. Uh, I don't enjoy it. I tend to be very cynical about politics. I have jokes and not much else when it comes to politics. I honestly, this is the honest truth, I don't love either political party right now. I get frustrated with them all the time. When I read or watch something, uh, I get worked up and I start thinking about all the stuff that I would say in response. And I start like having an argument in my head with my TV. Um, that's not super healthy, right? <laughs> I'm in therapy. I mean, not for that, but, uh, you know. <laughs> Does anyone else do that? Like, argue with your TV when politics, when politi was doing, doing that this week? Okay. Um, or, like, have you ever thought this, uh, I think this all the time, like, what would you do, like, if you had a moment and, like, all of, uh, all of them were, like, sitting there and, like, you could say whatever you wanted to them and they'd listen. Have you ever thought about what you would say? 
I think about that all the time. You've never thought about what you would say? Tell me I'm not the only one, please. Um, so uh, there's a pastor at a big church in Atlanta named Andy Stanley. He actually got that opportunity, right? So after uh, the president is inaugurated, what frequently happens, I don't know if every president does this, uh, but they, they often will go to this little church across the street from the White House and they have like a private invitation-only church service. So there's no reporters. It is just like the, the administration and their family and there are a few guests. And so uh, when President Obama was elected, I think it, it was his second term, he invites this pastor, Andy Stanley, to come and to deliver the sermon. So you picture this scene, right? It's a little church full of these people who will be the most powerful people in the country in the next four years, right? Some of, some of them, the most powerful people in the world in the next four years. And Andy got to say whatever he wanted. What would you preach on? Um, I could think of a few things, but uh, you know what he preached on? Uh, he preached about Jesus' approach to power and influence. And he took uh, the, the group to that passage where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And the gospel writer John records it. And when he does, he, he records it this way. He says, Jesus realized that all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. So he got up from the table, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. And Andy goes on to say this. He says, what do you do when you realize you're the most powerful person in the room? You serve those with less power than you. Isn't that great? That's what Jesus, the most powerful person who ever lived, did with all of his power. So good, right? So much better than all the things that I would have thought to have said. He's in a room with all these powerful people, people who are frequently the most powerful person in the room, and he takes them to the most powerful person who ever lived, Jesus Christ, who wants to radically change our understanding of power and influence and what they are really all about. Jesus did that sort of thing a lot. People came to him with one understanding, and he sent them off with a totally different understanding. He did that to his disciples a lot. They didn't have a lot of power at the time in this passage we're going to read. They don't have a lot of power in that moment, but Jesus knows how the story's going to end. And if you turn a few pages over, uh, you know, they're they going to be the ones in charge. They're going to be the ones leading the early church, starting this movement that we are still a part of today. So they were going to have a tremendous amount of power, and he wanted to clarify for them what that means. Now, I don't know how powerful or influential you feel. I realize I'm not talking to the president in his cabinet today. Um, but nevertheless, I think Jesus wants to radically change what we understand about what it means to have power, what it means to have influence here on earth. He wants to redefine it for us. He wants to teach us what to do with it. And so I want us to dive into this and see what it means for us. Just asking this simple question, what does it really mean to have power and influence on earth. Mark 9, verse 30. Story picks up after the transfiguration, and there, there was a healing Susie talked about last week. We're in verse 30. It says this, They left that place, and they passed through Galilee. 
Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. So this is a big shift for Jesus. He had this very public ministry, but now he's kind of becoming a little bit more private because he wants to get his disciples ready for something. Now we know how it ends. He's going to die, he's going to rise from the dead, and he's going to ascend into heaven, and they're going to run the show. So he's kind of got that in the back of his mind, is I need to prepare these guys for what is about to come. The verse continues, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Now, why were they afraid? You remember last time this issue came up, Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, stop talking like that, and Jesus calls him Satan. So it didn't go real well the last time that they brought this up. So they stay silent. They don't bring it up. Um, verse 33, they went to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Listen, I know Jesus did not have actual children, but as the father of three boys, this passage gives me great comfort because I have been on a road trip with three boys in the back seat. That is what they argue about. Who is the greatest? And I, Jesus knows the struggle. I mean, can you imagine, like after all they've witnessed, after all they've seen from Jesus, they're, they're fighting over who is the greatest. Why were they fighting? We'll, we'll get to that in a second, but Jesus is not going to let this opportunity go by. So he sits them down, and almost like an exasperated father, he lectures them on what it actually means to have power and influence and leadership and authority and all that stuff that they were fighting about. He's like, let me clarify. And he's going to tell them three things. And these three things uh, are not at all what we would assume is true when it comes to power and, and influence. Here's the first thing. Verse 35 Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and servant of all. Stop right there. He is reframing everything that we understand about power. He's trying to deconstruct what we normally think of when we think about power and influence. So what we normally think of is that the most powerful person in the world is the person who has the greatest capacity to accomplish things. Like that's just kind of a normal definition of power. So we think of a leader who is very powerful is someone who accomplishes a lot of stuff. Jesus says, that's totally wrong. That's not actually what it's about. And I think really what, what he's redefining is this, that power and influence are not about accomplishing things. Power and influence are about serving people. I don't know about you, but like that almost doesn't even compute. Like it's like, yeah, yeah, serving people while accomplishing things, right, Jesus? I mean, here's Jesus who has actual power, and he shows up and he says, listen, in this world where everybody's trying to get stuff done, it's, it is just about being the servant. That almost doesn't even make sense. It's almost, it's almost sweet. It's almost like, oh, Jesus, what an adorable definition of leadership you have. That's so kind. 
Um, That's not what's happening here, though. Jesus is doing something really important that we have to track with. What, What we need to understand about what he's saying is this, that we serve a God who literally has all authority. Like, that's not like a a, a hyperbole. Like, he owns authority. And so us, as humans, when we have power influence, it's because we just borrow it from him. It belongs to him. But what does he do with that authority? He doesn't lord it over us. He doesn't control us. He doesn't force us to do things. He actually gives us a tremendous amount of freedom And even when we abuse that freedom, what does he do? He still cares for us. He still loves us. And so fundamental to God's power, fundamental to God's authority is caretaking. That's what he uses his power and authority for, to take care of other people. That's what was set up in the beginning. Remember in the garden, it's God taking care of Adam and Eve, and then he empowered them. He gave them some of his authority to take care of one another and to take care of all creation. But caretaking was the central aspect of having power and authority from the beginning. And so when Jesus says, listen, what real authority is about, what real leadership and power and influence is about, is it is about taking care of someone. Or taking care of something, not being in charge, not accomplishing something, but serving someone. He's not just being sweet there. What he's trying to do is he's trying to reconnect us to the authority that God himself possesses. The almighty, all-powerful, caretaking God. That's what he does with his power. And what Jesus is advocating for is, hey, there is no other kind of power outside of God's power. That other stuff, it's the illusion. It's about serving people. That's what power and influence are really about. Now, he takes this one step further with the next thing he says. Here's the second thing. Verse 36. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. I I really love the way that Mark writes. We've talked about this a lot, but uh, it's so succinct. Where did the child come from? I don't know. Here's a child. And Jesus grabs him. Um, The context for that really matters, though, because what Jesus is doing is really quite brilliant here. In the Greco-Roman world, uh, children had no rights at all. Like, parents had rights, but parents had almost like this godlike authority over their children. And as individuals, a child had zero societal power or influence. And so what Jesus does is he says, listen, power, influence, it is about serving people. That's what it is about. And then he grabs like the least powerful person, the the most insignificant person that he has access to at the time, a child. And he says, you know, really what greatness and leadership are about is it is about welcoming this person with no power. That's what it's about. It's not about accomplishing things, not about getting stuff done. It's about serving, and it's about serving the most insignificant, powerless people you can find. And again, it's challenging, right? Like that really redefines something important from our culture. Like in our world, um, powerful people focus on the interests of their group, right? That's, that's just natural. Uh, we see that uh, in our political system since we're talking about politics, 
what most of us want in a political leader is someone who's going to fight for us, right? We want someone who will fight for America. Our, our current president, he won on the platform of America First. Now, I, I know we're not supposed to talk about stuff like this in church, but bear with me. The other side does the same thing. Watch this November. What they're both going to say, they're not going to use the phrase America first, but what they're both going to say is, we're really the ones who are going to fight for you. Like, we wouldn't, you couldn't get elected in this country if you didn't make that promise, could you? None of us would vote for you. That's what we expect of a president. That's what we expect of a leader, is that they fight for us. But here's the thing. Jesus says, that's not actually what leadership is about. Jesus says that's not actually what it works. Power is not about looking out for your people. What power is about is looking out for insignificant people. It's really different, isn't it? Radically different. I'm not sure I like it. I'd say it this way. Power and influence are not about accomplishing things for your group. Power and influence are about accomplishing things for those who don't have power. In our world, that doesn't always compute. It's a radical redefining of power and influence by Jesus. Like he's taking the world's definition and he's turning it upside down. Jesus says, it's not about you. It's not about your group. It is about serving powerless, insignificant people. That's what I want it to be about. Who is that in our world? Who are the powerless and insignificant people? Since I'm maybe a little bit stirring things up politically, let's just go there. Let's go all the way there. Let me give you two examples. These examples, I think, highlight the problem that we have with our current political system here in the U.S. Who are the powerless, insignificant people? Let me give you one example. It is the unborn. Absolutely. It is the unborn. That's why the issue of abortion matters, because we need to serve those who have no power. It's the unborn. Let me give you another example. It is the illegal immigrant child at our southern border. Absolutely. That issue matters, because we need to serve those with no power. Now, here's what's hard about navigating the political landscape in the U.S. as a Jesus follower. You take those two issues and you have suddenly, for some reason, divided this country along political lines. And you have one party who cares very much about the powerless unborn child, and rightly so, right? And you have another party who cares very much about the powerless illegal immigrant child, and rightly so. And then you have Jesus standing in the middle saying, whoever welcomes these children, these powerless, insignificant children, welcomes me. You see the problem that we have in our country. I am pretty sure Jesus could not get elected here. You know, whatever platform he came up with, not that he would want to, but it would cut across party lines in a way that would disappoint equally all of us. It's all right. He couldn't get elected in his country. They killed him, in fact. So um, you see the problem, though. Am I making us uncomfortable? 
I know we don't talk like this a lot at Pulper Rock. And listen, I'm not proposing that somehow I have this figured out. I'm mostly just bringing to you problems. Hear my heart, though. What Jesus used his power for and the way that he thought about it was radically different than anything that we are familiar with. It, it was in many ways the opposite. He turned it upside down. You still with me? All right, hang in there. Um, I'm trying to equally offend everyone. So if I don't, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I don't get to you, just shout out your issue and I'll say something, <laughs> you know. Chiefs fans, Republicans, Democrats, you all get a turn. Okay, so he has one more thing to say to us, and it starts with a, a stunning question that one of his disciples asks. Look at verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. <laughs> you ever seen a painting of Jesus? Like, he, like when artists paint him, he's always so serene and peaceful looking. I think a more realistic painting would be like this. <laughs> right? Because this is stunning, right? So Jesus responds exactly as you would expect him to, to respond. Verse 39, do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever's not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Now, if you've read the other Gospels, like the Gospel of Matthew, you may remember that there's a place where Jesus says the exact opposite of this. He says, whoever is not for us is against us. Now, it's Matthew chapter 12. You can look there later. Jesus, he's talking to these Pharisees, and the context matters because they just accused him of being from Satan, um, and, and they're challenging him. Uh, and he says, listen, if, if you're not really for me, then just don't even pretend. You're against me. In this passage, however, he's talking about somebody who was doing good. He was doing this work of freeing people from demon possession. He is serving people. He is serving people who don't have power. And uh, Jesus says, listen, that guy, don't stop him. He is for us. We need more stuff like that in the world. So in this passage, not like in Matthew, he's talking about God's redemptive movement on earth. And what he's saying to his disciples is very important. He says, listen, there's this kingdom of God that is advancing. And by the way, disciples, while you're really important, you don't own the kingdom. So the fact that this guy is doing something good, uh, the fact that he's doing kingdom work, even though he's not one of you, I want you to support it because it's good work. And I think he's trying to challenge an assumption that we almost, without thinking, you know, we carry around when it comes to power and influence. But to, to really understand this assumption, we need to understand a uh, kind of big word. Have you heard the word sectarianism? Are you familiar with that word? Um, what sectarianism refers to is it's just this excessive attachment to a particular party or sect. That's like a religious sect. So it's real common in religion and in politics. Sectarianism would say, listen, I'm not going to support anything that doesn't come from my group. That's what the disciples were doing. He's not one of us, so we're going to put a stop to this thing that he's doing out there. A sectarian church would say, I'm not going to partner with anyone outside of our group or our denomination or our little thing here. 
Now, at Pulpit Rock, we try to be very non-sectarian. We'll partner with anyone. We'll even partner with people who don't yet believe in Jesus. If they're accomplishing good work, we'll say, well, yeah, we'll join you. We'll support that. But some churches approach that very differently, and they tend to be a little bit more uh, sectarian in their orientation. This, of course, is really present in our political system. When was the last time you heard a Republican say, gosh, that idea that Democrat had was so good, right? Or uh, when have you heard a, a Democrat say the same thing? Those Republicans, they came up with this great policy. I just love it. They would never say that because they are supporting then their opponent and they wouldn't give credit to a group that is not theirs. That is sectarianism. So sectarianism is the way that we naturally interact with the world. Um, we tend to be overly attached to what we perceive is our group, however we perceive that. Now, the only problem is Jesus, who has all authority, Jesus, who is God, who is the only son of God, doesn't think that way. He is non-sectarian. He doesn't care that this guy is not one of their little group. He just cares that people are real people are being set free from demon possession. And he says that's worth supporting. And there's a truth about power and influence that God wants us to desperately understand that real power and influence are never sectarian. Real power and influence is not concerned with promoting the group. What real power and influence are focused on is promoting the kingdom, not the group. Do you see the difference? Here's how I would say this principle. Real power and influence are not concerned with who gets the credit. Real power and influence are concerned with the mission. And if there's someone out there contributing to the mission, doing good work, even if they're not a part of your group, even if they may not understand or agree with everything that you do or you think, if they're working towards this mission of restoration that God has on earth, if they're helping people, then good leaders, good people of power and influence will celebrate that because Jesus would celebrate that. Maybe think of it this way. Bad leaders are about promoting their group. Good leaders are about promoting the mission. And those are very different focuses. It's a radical redefinition of power, isn't it? It's hard to even make it work in our current systems. Somehow it makes them break down. What Jesus is saying He's trying to get these guys ready for the day that they're going to be in charge. And he says, listen, I actually know what that means to be in charge. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. So let me tell you what it's about. It is about serving real people. It is about serving real people. It is about fighting for people who don't have power, fighting for people who have less power with, than you. If you wonder who are those insignificant people, it's anyone who has less power than you do. That's what Jesus is calling them there. To. It is about partnering with anyone who is focused on redemption and restoration because that's what our God is focused on. It's not about being in charge, not about accomplishing great things for your group. It's not about who gets the credit. And even though everyone thinks that way, Jesus is saying, that's not really what I want you to think. You need to think differently about this. What do we do with this? 
you know, he's pushing them pretty hard on this. You know, obviously, they, they were wrestling already, but he's really trying to push them to change their attitude. And there's this reality that our attitudes lead to our actions, right? So the way we think about something is going to determine what we do about it. And I think that is especially true with power and influence and leadership. The way that we think about it is going to shape what we do with it. And what Jesus is saying to us is, adopt my attitude. It's the right way to think of it. And he, he has all power and authority, so he can say, listen, this is how God's authority works on earth in this way. If we're going to adopt that attitude, I think uh, th the first thing that it means, maybe just by way of application, is this. Uh, embrace the fact that God has given you power and influence on earth. Like, w we have to embrace that, okay? Uh, I want to go back to Andy Stanley's question. What do you do when you realize you're the most powerful person in the room? Um, let's not get hung up on most powerful in the room. That, that maybe is secondary. But uh, has it dawned on you that God has given you power and influence? I don't care who you are, a, a parent, whatever you do in work, in your school. Um, God has given you power and influence. If it hasn't dawned on you, let it dawn on you now. You may not have the most power, but I don't know if that's even something you can quantify. You may not be powerful enough to do everything you want, but Jesus is with you, and that means that you have power and influence. You need to embrace it, that Jesus has created you to affect things on this earth with his help. So we have to embrace that. But here's the second thing, is that because we are people who have power and influence, we have to align ourselves consistently with Jesus' definition of power, not the world's. And this is the really hard part, is it's one thing to recognize you have some power and influence on this world. It's much more difficult to align with the way Jesus thinks of this. The world's definition makes intuitive sense to us. The world is incredibly persuasive, but when we try to use world, the world's definition of power to accomplish the things of Jesus, it just, it never quite fits, and it never quite works. The power that Jesus is talking about, it transcends and will always transcend the human systems of power. Like we can't contain the sort of power that Jesus is talking about. That's why, incidentally, we can have total peace because there is nothing that will ever happen on the first Tuesday in November that will hold the kingdom of Jesus back or push it forward into existence. Nothing that will ever happen on the first Tuesday in, in November because that's not how Jesus' kingdom advances. The kingdom of Jesus, the one that we belong to first and foremost, it doesn't need laws, it doesn't need elections, it doesn't need Supreme Court justices or presidents, it doesn't need any of that stuff to advance. Jesus is telling us all it needs is people who use the influence they've been given for the powerless. That's how it advances, not that other stuff. That's the world's way of thinking. And listen, when someone tells you, I hear this from time to time from, from I think, well-meaning Christians, but when someone tells you that we Christians are under attack and the culture is against us and we need to defend our rights and fight for the brand and all that stuff, listen, that is not the spirit of Jesus. 
You will not see him taking that approach with his disciples. That is a human way of thinking, and that is not aligned with his definition of power. We Christians are not some damsel in distress that needs to be rescued from the big bad world. It's not who we are. We have nothing to be afraid of, and we don't have to defend our group because the spirit of the living God who actually owns all authority in heaven and on earth lives in us. And when we are aligned with his definition of power, we realize we don't have to get worked up about this world system. The only thing that matters is our capacity to serve the powerless, and they can't, they can't take that away from us. That's what will overturn the world. Incidentally, if you're into history, that's how the early church overturned the world, not by chasing political power, but by chasing the power of servanthood. It's a totally different game. And that's what they were about. Listen, I might get worked up. My point is not to say politics don't matter. It, that's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear that. My point is to say our first allegiance as Jesus followers is to his kingdom and whether or not that advances in culture is not dependent on anyone else. It is dependent on what we as his people are doing for the powerless, period. It's all it's dependent upon. My question for us is always that one of alignment. Are we aligning more with Jesus' definition? Or are we lining up more with the world's definition of power? Um, I think you go back and forth. This is maybe just something that maybe it just applies to me, but you might find this helpful. I realized a little bit ago, I, I, I was just seeing in my life, there was probably more evidence that I was lined up with the world's definition of power. Um, and as I was thinking about it, I felt like God led me to three decisions um, that uh, I, I've made over the last few years. First, I canceled Facebook. Did you know you can do that? Um, I stopped watching news on TV. I just don't watch it anymore. Um, I also stopped watching The Daily Show on Comedy Central, um, which if you know what that is, you know why. Um, maybe you don't have this problem, but I have discovered this. As I consumed those things, um, I, it made me dislike people, like real people created in the image of God. Just those three things somehow made me dislike real people. It made me angry. It made me cynical. It made me sectarian. Meaning there was something about just consuming that stuff that made me focus on the perspectives of my group instead of focusing on the kingdom of God and the mission of Jesus. Now, I, I'm sure you all are much stronger than me in those three areas, and I'm not telling you you should do that, but I just, I want us to realize this. It's, it, the world is constantly persuading us like, this is like a moment in the Gospels. Like, our lives are full of all of these moments where the world is constantly persuading us to think about power and influence in its way. It's inviting us into its definition. The disciples were not arguing on the road about who was the greatest because they're stupid. That's not what was happening there. They were arguing with, on the road about who was the greatest because the world is persuasive. Because they thought that mattered. Because they thought God needed them to be really powerful people on earth. Jesus is calling us out of that system 
And we have to recognize that we are in a world that is constantly persuading us to use its system. And I think there's moments where you may have to, like I did, just protect your heart so that you can stay aligned with Jesus' uh, definition of power. There are things that will uh, get you out of alignment with that. And I discover those, I'm like, oh, but it's easy to just forego those things so I can align with Jesus' radical definition. When you embrace that you actually do have some power and influence on this earth, then you have to really protect your power and influence to stay aligned with the definition that our Savior brings to it. And we do that because this world desperately needs powerful, influential people. It does. That does not mean it needs someone else fighting to be in charge. What that means is it needs people who embrace Jesus' definition of power and influence, people that serve. Those are powerful people. That's what we're trying to pursue here, this fearless attitude of servant leadership that I believe you and I were created for, to invest our lives in caring for those who have less power than we do. That's why we've been given power and influence, and the challenge is one of alignment with the heart of our Savior. Let me pray over us. Lord, we accept that we have been given power. We've been given influence on this earth. And we confess, Lord, that it's so easy to fall into the world's way of thinking on that. Liberate us from that thinking. Liberate us from thinking uh, it, it is about things that it's not about. Free us to trust the power of servanthood on earth. God, we see it in you. We see the example that you set, the ways that you loved and the ways that you served and what you called your followers to. And we just, we want to follow them in the same way. We give ourselves to you, Lord. May our power and influence honor you and honor your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.